I'm Eugene Kim, and I welcome you to the Four Prompts on Death podcast, where we talk about death through the four prompts. I am, before I die, I want, when I die, I want, and after I die, I want. This week, we sit down with Camille Colbreth. Camille is a 27-year-old unexpected mama and comedian. Camille jumped on my radar this past Mother's Day with a post about her son, Arthur, and the story of his birth via cryptic pregnancy, meaning you don't know you're pregnant until you're in labor. During this conversation, we discuss how she thought she was dying when she was actually very pregnant, how her brother's unexpected death separated her family, and how this unanticipated bundle of joy reunified her family. Before we talk more about Camille and this great conversation we have, I want to talk about my long-form Sundays posts. Uh, real quick housekeeping. I hope you guys, you know, listeners, you ladies, whoever you are in listening to this podcast, uh, don't mind the switch from the every other week to now every month a new episode, but I hope that you don't mind that I'm putting in, you know, reposts of the of the podcasts in there just to keep you keep uh, this podcast in your feed. Hope you don't mind that. It's a lot easier for me to manage with a baby and a lot of family stuff going on and, um, you know, residency as a psychiatrist. So um, anyway, you can find all my writing and all these podcast episodes on my website, eugeneh.kim. That's E-U-G-E-N-E-H dot K-I-M. And, uh, or in your favorite podcast feed, iTunes, Stitcher, Podcaster, whatever, whatever you want to do. So there you can find all the writing and you can find uh, all the interviews and also you can find all the collected writings on Amazon. If you search for physician education, it'll be the first thing that pops up under the title of On the Education of a Physician. You can find the Kindle and the paperback collections for your reading enjoyment. I know some people like scrolling on their phone, some people don't, whatever you like to do. Anyway, on September 1st, 2019, I published On Unexpected Change. This week, I reflected on unexpected change. Some change is expected, such as the transition from summer to fall. Other change came to us like a tsunami, and we are in the midst of picking up the pieces. Then more recently, on September 8th, 2019, I published On Coincidence and Timing. This week, I related a story about coincidence and timing, two major themes in my life recently. I explained how a flat tire led to a prompt retrieval of a lost pooch. Then I waxed philosophic about the nature of timing and coincidence. So, like I said, go to eugenehkim uh, to find all of this stuff there from the very first anatomy lab of medical school to now uh, finishing up my third month of residency as a first year intern. So uh, back to Camille and this really great conversation. Uh, Camille is hilarious, happy, healthy, and someone's unexpected mama. Before Camille dies, she wants to feel like she's conquered this motherhood thing to be a success to herself and to continue to know she has happiness. When Camille dies, she wants everyone around her to celebrate. After Camille dies, she wants to be a legend that Arthur and her future children tell her ki- tell their kids and her family to continue and her family name to continue to be strong. And finally, in conclusion, Camille says, "Parenthood is not a piece of cake." And I have to agree with her. At the time of the interview, this interview, uh, back in July 2019, uh, Arthur was about five months, and June was, uh, I think, six months around there, right around the same age. Um, and, uh, yeah, so this was a wacky conversation. And like I mentioned uh, like at the top, that um, Camille jumped on my radar because of a post that she made on Mother's Day about uh, Arthur. And Arthur is this beautiful, he's got blonde, blonde hair, blue eyes, and just this little little scamp that I see on my Facebook feed nowadays. And uh, he's a similar age as June. 
And uh, Camille mentioned in her post on Mother's Day that she is a mom, and that is unexpected because she did not know she was pregnant. And that the, this is what the whole cryptic pregnancy thing is, is that she did not know she was pregnant until she was in labor. And there's, we go into this, it's a wild ride of the story from, um, you know, her thinking that she's dying, she's got hypertension and diabetes, and that's why she's eating all this food, gaining all this weight and feeling so terrible to uh, the night where she begins labor, doesn't know it yet, she just thinks she's dying. And then she goes to the ED and just the whole like 20 minutes between you are crowning, there's a baby trying to come out of you you need to start pushing to the her mom's there with her finding out she's about to be a grandma in the space of 20 minutes and be like we got this let's go let's push and then the immediate aftermath of being thrown in an ambulance because the hospital that they presented to has an ed but not a labor and delivery floor to Oh, the wild ride of just the, what the you know with the relationship with the father and the whole just we dig into her Camille's past with her brother and it's just this wild ride of a story and uh, before we started the conversation she was like oh this is the free therapy session I've been wanting for for so long and you can tell it's a lot got off of her chest but I think it was a really interesting story because um, as she mentions in in this interview that cryptic pregnancies are something that you sort of see on like daytime TV where it's like a baby gets uh, born and uh, you know there the woman doesn't know she's pregnant and she gives birth in a toilet and uh that's that's something that camille approaches and i want to let her say her piece on it but it is something that um it can be so judgmental where you think oh how did you not know you're pregnant and all these the things that come along with um major life events that don't have the uh, prodrome or the anticipation and the lead up and the milestones that we all expect. And I mentioned in the interview how uh, Mackenzie and I, we eloped and we got married at a courthouse and uh, during a lunch break during medical school. And we didn't have the safe, the dates. We didn't have the, um, you know, the, the wedding. We didn't have the reception. We didn't, you know, all of those things that people associate with like, oh, now you're married because you've done these things. Um, and like, oh, you're now, now you're a mom, but you, you didn't have the nine months of like the baby shower and like the sonogram photos and like the like you know if depending on your style of things the gender reveal like all of that stuff it's very very interesting and we talk about how the lack of anticipation for her was probably a good thing because if she had known she was pregnant during that whole time she would have been stressed she would have been all all this wacky stuff but because it just was slammed into her like this or i guess if you want to be grass slammed out of her like this that she uh she was able to just be like, crap, we got to be present. We got to figure out what are, what are we going to do now? Cause we don't even have a crib. We don't have a baby seat. We we're in the hospital with this baby and we don't even have like uh, anything, no clothes, just all this wacky stuff. So in the, in the story that she tells about how she found out about like which friends are the one, friends she really wants to keep and which friends are just kind of like, you know, the disposable ones that aren't really truly out there for her, for her, the best interest. It was just a beautiful, it's, it's a wild ride. And I'm really interested because, uh, in, in just a couple years when Arthur is maybe three or four, um, 
just seeing how Camille is approaching this whole parenthood thing when she's starting to think about the second one, if that second one's going to be a cryptic pregnancy, who knows? It's just such a wild, wild story. And it's so beautiful to be able to get a perspective on it that is um, so honest, earnest, and vulnerable because these are things, like I mentioned, like that you see on daytime TV, that they are sensationalized and they're, um, you, you, there's such an air of judgment around them. But to be able to hear a, a very eloquent and thoughtful and vulnerable person talk about this experience um, in a way that is just like, oh, wow, this is such a, you know, life is wacky. Life is so wacky, and to judge people is so silly, uh, and, you know, because we all have our own things going on, and this is just, I, I was just so glad I could talk with Camille because I knew she was funny, and I knew that she would, uh, she had a lot to get off her chest, and boy, howdy, uh, this was a great conversation. So I hope you don't mind me talking too much and that you're ready to listen to Camille Colbreth on death. So it is July 15th, 2019. I'm sitting here in my Orfield, Pennsylvania home and Camille Colbreth is sitting in her Boston, Massachusetts home and we're gonna be talking about death through the four prompts. Camille, what are the four prompts? I am, before I die, I want. When I die, I want. After I die, I want. Excellent. And how do you finish that first prompt, I am? I am hilarious. I am happy. I am healthy. And now, most importantly, I am someone's unexpected mama. <laughs> it's a good list. <laughs> Strong yeah. list. So um, let's, go, let's go with the first one, uh, hilarious. What, uh, uh, what does being hilarious mean to you? I'm sorry, it just broke up. Can you repeat that? Yeah, what does being hilarious okay. mean to okay. you? Okay. Well, I am a stand-up. So being hilarious to me, based on just people telling me I'm funny, mm -hmm. um, I make people laugh. That's a just, it's, it's a hobby, it's a passion. Just making people laugh and making myself laugh. Um, it's form of therapy um I yeah make, just just making people laugh makes me feel better about myself mm -hmm. so it gets it gets me through the days just you know when I'm having a bad day I have I have to laugh it's kind of like I, in the back of my mind I always think of that song from Mary Poppins um I love to laugh it's like the most underrated song of that <laughs> whole movie where they go visit Bert's uncle and he laughs so much he just starts flying up into the sky and that's <laughs> that's that's how I feel that's how I like to make myself feel like give myself a, such a big belly laugh and give everyone else such a big belly laugh that you know the only way we can calm, calm down from that is just you know from crying <laughs> and that's that's what they that's what they do in the movie and that's kind of just like something I've always felt that I can accomplish with my people my friends and uh, my audience mm. yeah there's a definite magic in laughter um it's like there's a there's a, it's like an alchemy like you can take the all these emotions that are otherwise very very heavy and you can if you can figure like it's the right joke at the right time with the right delivery it can just transmute it into something magical and then it's just like oh it's all better you definitely have to read the audience and that's something that over the years, like even starting when I was in elementary school, you just, you know, you have to be able to read your peers. 
mm-hmm. and you know read your coworkers, read your audience. That's kind of just how I how I view life. I re- I take it as though I am on stage constantly, and everyone is my audience, and so I just have to read the crowd. <laughs> Yeah. And uh, yeah, like for me, I always say to the Mackenzie, my partner, she's like my stand-up audience. And I always just try to make her like, cause she, she laughs at everything. So I just, it's my cocaine. I just try to make her laugh and that makes everything better, especially when it's like 2 AM and you're trying to put this baby back to sleep. It's just this whole yeah. thing. And I wonder how long have you been practicing uh, stand-up? Three and a half years. Okay. Three and a half years. Yeah. It's been on and off just because, you know, you don't want to do the same jokes. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are the jokes that work for crowds that you've never um, performed for, but then there are, you know, it gets old. It's old material. It doesn't work for you anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you've moved on, you've changed. You've outgrown that persona because I I think what, what happens a lot of the time you know, you grow as a person and you're not the person, you're not that specific person who is telling that joke. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like I have a whole bit of, you know, from when I was growing up, how I thought I lived and my life was completely normal. But in a sense, I grew up in a totally weird world where I was around you know, a lot of famous people and didn't even realize it. Um, a lot just because I grew up in Atlanta and my dad um, worked with a lot of civil rights people and I had no idea that these people were who they were I just thought they were you know normal people for example um, Andrew Jackson who walked with Martin Luther King Jr. Um, I met him several times and I did not know who he was. I thought he was just my dad's friend who did a phenomenal impression of Daffy Duck. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's like, it's, it's the little things like that that I built my first stand-up routine off of, you know, and like how my parents accidentally sent me to Scientology kindergarten. <laughs> you know, like that... <laughs> Like that alone, as an adult, thinking back, that's real. That's you know hilarious. But now I've kind of outgrown those jokes. I've done them already. Mm-hmm. And then you know I did my whole shtick about meeting people on dating apps. But that's overdone so much now. And um, then I started getting into building characters and making these people based off of people that I've met um, throughout my life experience. Um, But I enhanced them into how I think they could be, you know, funnier. So I have um, my Long Island pet medium. She tells (laughs) them, she'll tell everybody that they are, uh, that their dog is Jewish and they're related to some sort of um, famous Jewish person like black Jew like all of all of it their dog is always was a black Jew in a past life so (laughs) you know like she'll say something like oh your dog he uh I don't want to say he started from the bottom but uh he he's here now you know I don't I don't want to tell you who he's possibly related to you know so it's it's like it's it's funny stuff like that 
And now in this new part of my life, I um, am starting a, a, a new bit and, you know, a, a new bit about my, uh, my motherhood. So it's, and I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying to take the laughter, put laughter into that situation. You know, I, I, I that, that's how I get, get through things is by like how I manage things is through laughter, through writing a bit, um, instead of, you know, dwelling over things or, or worrying over things or crying over things. I think, I think of how can I make myself laugh and others laugh through this experience. Mm-hmm. So, and then that's, that's, that's the next part of my, um, stand-up career where I'm, where I'm taking it. So. Yeah, it sounds almost like your develop your writing of jokes and your developing of of your minutes on stage is almost like a, is almost like a, a journaling practice for you in a way of like you're processing these things and then you can retrospectively look at these chapters in your life by the bits that you have done, right? It definitely is. It definitely is. And I've always been one for journaling, which is why it's helped me with writing my bits because I've been writing since I was in elementary school mm-hmm. and I have these hilarious journals, you know, of, you know, my days when I was in first grade in Miss Wolf's class and how Rebecca Scott did something to me and James Minor did that to me. And, you know, the fact that I remember these children's names and how they've affected me <laughs> in my adulthood, I'm 27 years old and I still remember, you know, what happened to me in 1996 on the playground. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, and just, I, I journal every single day, whether it just, you know, be on my phone now or in an actual, actual book with a pen. Um, I've, it's just, it's part of my process, my writing process. And it's something that I've always, always done and it I'll continue to do. And it just, it, it, it helps me, write the jokes and find my funny. I take the funny from the story because a lot of the time, you know, sometimes it's super serious, but then, you know, looking back a couple years later, this is outrageous. This isn't, this isn't that serious. This is actually really funny. Mm-hmm. And I can mold this into a joke, even though at the time I thought it was, you know, heartbreaking, heart-wrenching and, you know, I, it killed me. It killed my soul. <laughs> but it, it it really did it. So I, I, I just need to be able to laugh at the fact that I went through whatever it was that, you know, emotional 21 Camille, you know, wrote that day. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that that's, uh, that leads into a point that I was thinking about where, um, you know, the, the, the funniest people tend to also, you know, as a generalization, also feel the, like a low as well. Like there's, it's hard to not, it's hard to be funny all the time, but not also have like a sadness that you're trying to like bring up out of it through it. Right. And um, I wonder like, do you, does that, does that feel accurate for you? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, One thing that I don't really share with a lot of people is, you know, I, am sad a lot but I don't express it um I find you know I hide that emotion and I only let that come out to myself in the privacy of my own home um I have 
a couple friends who have seen that side of me, but it's very rare. Like I'm an emotional person, but I don't go into the nitty gritty of why I have those emotions. And that's a lot of the time where my jokes come from. Um, that I, instead of sharing those feelings of sadness and depression, uh, I write my jokes. Because if you ask anybody, like people who've known me for, I don't know, the 10 years I've been in Boston, they'll tell you that I'm the happiest, funniest person that they know. And I always have a smile on my face, but behind closed doors, I'm, you know, depressed. Um, I'm sad a lot of the time, but you know, when I step outside, it's kind of like I put on my comedic show for people without, you know, subconsciously thinking about it. Mm -hmm. And that's something that a lot of comics do. I feel, um, we, some, I mean, some of them use that sadness on stage, but me, I don't do that. Um, I don't like to share that side of me. Um, It's very vulnerable. And um, now, especially given my most recent life situation, I'm finding that it's okay to share that side of me and to find, you know, the laughter in the situation, even though it kind of does make me sad. So, like, if that makes sense, it does. Um, like, there's a, there, I see an aspect of like uh, you're you're showing the pain, but only a very small way and in a very processed kind of manner through the jokes. Um, and then there's also um, just uh, you know, all, like the the happiest people, like the, you know, like Robin Williams is like the classic example, right? Like, it's just mm-hmm. like there's it's it's you can't really be that comedian all the time. Right. Everyone expects you to be the funny person in the life of the party. And it's hard. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes I just want to sit back and I want to be quiet and I just want to observe things. And that's hard because a lot of times people will look at me and they're like, what's wrong? You know, if I'm not smiling, if I'm not, you know, making a joke or, you know, like doing a shoulder nudge, like, did you see this? Did you hear that? Um, or in your face, people are like, what's wrong with her? Is she mm-hmm. okay? You know? And sometimes it's like, I just want to be quiet. I just want to sit back. Um, and I found that I, I enjoy sitting back more so because now I'm just really observing my surroundings even more. And I'm finding I can write jokes just by doing that as well, mm-hmm. by observing the people around me. And I don't have to live the experience myself to make people laugh Mm -hmm. and that's something that is difficult for me but at the same time it's it's like a a side of relief that I don't have to you know be the butt of the joke Mm -hmm. and you don't have to be the clown pratfalling mm -hmm, exactly Mm -hmm. and it's 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 refreshing it is (laughs) it's super refreshing um but I yeah no it's 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 crazy I I never really I never really talk about you know how that I how how I get how I'm sad a lot of the time 
-hmm. and you know how my comedy instead of talking about that I I just instantly just want to bring the funny and I don't want to show that side of me but now I'm at this point where it's like okay I want to get real I want to get more real and I want to get a little serious but I also Mm -hmm. want to make you laugh Mm-hmm. And I also find, um, you know, even in my like psychiatric interviews, I will, I find that it's very important to have like some level of a ratio between the two of them. Like, like even in the best comedy, I feel like the best, best comedy is one where there's a little dip into that sadness. So you really, you really feel that difference rather than always staying in that manic high, you know, like you really feel that emotional difference between the two. And I feel like uh, when I do my interviews, sometimes I always try to make the person laugh just so that when they do cry and they you, you usually do cry, end up crying during a psych interview, that it's like, so you feel the difference between the two. And it's like that, that tension and that distance traveled is very important. And I think that is a cool sign of your, you know, your evolution as a comic. Yeah. It's kind of like I'm in my, I feel like it's like my senior year of comedy in a, in a <laughs> sense, just based on how I've grown. Um, I, you know, when I first started, it was completely out of the blue, you know, it's, it's like ripping a bandaid off. Like you just go and do it. You're scared out of your mind and then you just go do it. Mm-hmm. And then once you get the hang of it, you know, it's like, it's, it's also like riding a bike, you know, it just, it, it comes natural to you. And I, I got, I think I got cocky with it um because my first set that I did it was just super random it's funny actually I was on a bad first date and he took me to an open mic night and it was either I sat next to him and just listened to him talk horribly (laughs) about the comics he's like oh I didn't think this guy was funny I didn't think that guy was funny I'm just like, you know what? Do I really want to sit next to this guy and listen to him? Or do I just want to go on stage and talk for myself? And <laughs> that's what I did. I just said, you know what? Screw it. I, I can't sit next to you anymore. So I went up to the MC and he's like, is there a spot? Can I, can I just do this? He's like, have you ever done it? I said, no. I just, I'm on a horrible date. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to get out of it. <laughs> so um, this, it, it's either go hide in a bathroom and pretend that I left or get on stage and just laugh at the situation. And that's kind of what happened. And that's how I started ultimately. And, you know, everyone laughed at my set. And that's why I say I got cocky because the first that I did, I had the entire place laughing. Mm-hmm. so it's like okay wow I'm good <laughs> I was meant to do this this is this is what I'm supposed to do and you know I've I've, I've bombed a couple times but as any comic does but um for the most part it's it's been smooth sailing and I always get it really I get a nice number of laughs and you know now especially like we were talking earlier, you have to read your audience. And um, I've learned how to do that over the years, you know, like what jokes work best for uh, the certain demographic that I'm working, working with essentially. And, you know, as I progress with my, with my comedy, um, I'm realizing that more and more. And so that's kind of like how I'm, I feel like I'm evolving and 
into like my senior year because it's like getting into a more real aspect of who I am and I feel like that's how you feel when you're in your senior year you're like okay this is it I I'm at this next stage like the the final stage really but it's never really the final stage um I but for right now that's kind of what it feels like like this is the most serious the most serious I've been and the most raw I'm going to be in my next um couple bits that I'm going to be performing for people Mm -hmm. I look forward to it I, uh, I think this will be good stuff for you Oh, yeah. <laughs> and the best part is I, it was just written for me. I didn't even really have to put much consideration into it. It's kind of, you know, it was just written. It was, I want to, I want to say in a way, um, God wrote this set for me. <laughs> um, he knew it was coming. I, I didn't. And that's kind of like where I'm starting from there. Gotcha. And I think we covered the the next identifier in that list uh, from hilarious to happy. I think we covered the happy and also the other side of that, which is the sad. Um, and I forget what the third thing on that list is. Healthy. Healthy. Yeah. What does that mean for you? Um, well, that kind of meshes into my unexpected mama as well, mm-hmm. because I thought that I was dying (laughs) and I really wasn't like I mean like in a sense like I've always been uh, I've struggled with my weight for years and the last nine months I had no idea what my body was doing I gained so much weight but I was like blaming bread because I was eating DiGiorno pizza like every other day um (laughs) bagels like I eat three bagels at work when we have bagel days and that's so unlike me because I've been gluten-free for two years and all of a sudden I just want to eat all this bread and so I was kind of turning into a giant balloon and I didn't understand you know like why that was happening why my body was doing those things um you know and I am the type of person who does not like going to the doctor Mm-hmm. So I rely on WebMD for a lot of my <laughs> misdiagnostics. And um, yeah, so I thought I had uh, diabetes. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, let's see, what else did I have? A high blood pressure. Um, and yeah, it was mostly diabetes that I thought that I had, which mm-hmm. I have no idea why that even really made any sense. Um, (laughs) because looking back, it's kind of like, that doesn't, you can't, no, diabetes doesn't work like that. Um, you know, my, my feet were huge and I couldn't understand why, because normally when I gain weight, my feet never are that big. Mm -hmm. Um, my feet are like the one thing that stay the same size. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this kind of transitions into the unexpected mama thing. A week before I went into labor, I was walking through TJ Maxx with a Hershey chocolate bar, pushing a, a, a shopping cart, walking through the store, crying with one shoe on that I was trying to put on, but I couldn't because my foot was so fat. 
and the guy at TJ Maxx, he's like, are you okay? And I said, I don't, I don't know. I'm not the shoe. It won't fit. Where's the men's shoes? Because I can't, I can't fit into any other shoe. Like my foot is so big and I don't know why. <laughs> Do you know why? Like I was freaking out. And like, like I, I think I never, I, I don't think I've ever made like a store employee feel more uncomfortable than that poor man that day he's like I, I i i can show you to the men's shoe section like oh so you think i need a men's shoe is that what you're saying well no you you asked me and i said well do you see the shoe that i'm wearing here it doesn't fit it's not fitting so yeah i went into like a complete meltdown um mentally <laughs> and physically and um once i went into labor it's like my body bounced back and it turns out you know i wasn't I, I was healthy. I was very healthy. And the doctors even said, you know, like if I didn't eat the way I was eating, like eating all the pizza, eating all the bagels, eating literally all the bread in the world that was facing me, <laughs> I, um, I wouldn't have had a healthy baby. Mm. So it's crazy, you know, like something that I've just was never... I, I didn't I I don't like to eat bread just because like, like the carbs the gluten it doesn't make me feel good but those last couple months it's all I wanted and that's ironically what made me healthy in a sense mm-hmm. in the weirdest way possible so yeah yeah there's a I mean I see a very interesting uh you know as uh you know in, in a traditional sense like childbirth is this weird um, you're going through this needle point where it's like, yes, it's, you're giving, you're doubling life. Like it's this beautiful thing, but you're also very close to death. And I think that that's a very interesting thing to note in your experience where you thought you were dying. <laughs> like I thought I was dying. I was at Park Street Station and I don't know if you're familiar with it. There's mm-hmm. like the giant staircase that you have to walk up. I was wearing probably four inch heels Oof. and I was walking up these stairs and I, like right in the middle of it I just said okay today's the day I'm dying I'm dying today I can't walk up the I physically cannot walk up these stairs something that's just been so easy for me in the last 10 years of living in Boston something I've never thought to be you know a difficult let alone challenge I couldn't do Mm -hmm. and I just I stopped and I was crying I was crying in the middle of the train station on a staircase, in the middle of the staircase, out, in the middle of the staircase, and I could, I, I couldn't, I couldn't move. I couldn't lift my leg. It, my, my, my left leg felt like jello, like some, like you know, kind of like when someone punches your leg and it, it, you, you just you wobble and you just can't really move after that. That's how I felt. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, what is it called? A dead horse or something? Dead I don't know. leg that's, or Charlie horse? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's how that's how I felt, and I I could not move, and I stood there for ten minutes. Oof. People were walking by, you know, and we're, it's Boston, so no one's really going to um, look at you and and say, "Hey, are you okay? Are you okay?" No, they just walk past you and let you die, <laughs> mm-hmm. and that's you know, and it's funny because. Being on the train those last couple weeks, looking back, I saw people um, treat me differently. And I didn't, like, I didn't really think anything of it. You know, like, people were like, oh, hey, do you want this seat? 
I was like, this is a crowded train. That's okay. I'll stand, you know? And they're like, are you, are you sure? Yeah. What, why do I look like I need to take a seat? I said, I actually said that to a woman once and she's like, Oh no, I just, I just thought, you know, I'm like, you thought what, you know, it's like, like, other, like strangers were almost noting it. Strangers knew I was pregnant and I didn't. <laughs> that 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 was like one that's that's like one of the jokes you know like I was walking by and people would just look at me and say hey do do you want this seat do you want me to you know like people were holding doors for me that you know I I never I'm not used to in this city Mm -hmm. that that's what was happening and I didn't understand why and now looking back it's like oh (laughs) <laughs> strangers knew but I didn't mm-hmm. so yeah and I think that like uh you know that 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 distance traveled that we had talked about a little bit ago about um you know the sad and happy being able to make that traversion uh, is important but I also think for you and your health like that that low where you really thought you were dying where you really you couldn't even make it up a flight of stairs without stopping for 10 minutes I think that's a very important like most people at 27 living in Boston uh, young you know doing the work and like you know running around and living their social life um, have never really experienced something like that Right. And I think that that is an important humbling aspect to just be like, look, this is you're you're healthy for now, but this may not last forever. Right. Absolutely, and that's that's how that's how I felt. I um, I I couldn't move, and that scared me. Mm-hmm. Like I was like, okay, so this is this is what death feels like, um, not being able to move my body. And I, I was, I was scared. I was, I was mortified, really, because I, I, I didn't know what to expect. Um, and fortunately, I wasn't dying. <laughs> I, the irony is, so, yeah, that's um, my, my health. My, my health is is probably the best it's ever been at this point. <laughs> And um, my my doctors my doctors can't even believe it. Sorry, I had, I had, I had to move. There were um, there's four dogs in the house, and they all just decided to wake up, uh, and gotcha. they they started barking at me. So I'm like, let me just move move away from this, so you just don't hear three Yorkies and a multi poo, you know, yelling <laughs> at each other in the, in the middle of something that is so serious for me. <laughs> But okay, back to business. Sorry, sorry, sorry. No problem. Um, and now, I th- yeah, let's let's talk a little bit about the unexpected mama part. Like, what uh, what's going on there? Um. Okay. Well, the best like the dogs just followed me mm-hmm. out here. They're they're here. Um. <laughs> so part part pardon any barking. <laughs> like like literally. Oh, okay. Just, this, is, this is life. This is what's yeah. happening. <laughs> this, this is definitely what's. I'm, I'm just gonna move back to where I was because they followed me. <laughs> Give me one second. Okay. I thought you know this is a smart idea to move away from that, but no, they're following me. Best laid plans. Yeah, seriously. Um, but okay, my unexpected mama. Um. So I guess I'll take you to the day it happened, the night before. Um, so I 
much sleep. It was a Saturday night, which is kind of funny. It was a Saturday night and all my friends wanted to go out that night. And I said, no, guys, I am not feeling well. Something's up with me. I need to go to bed. I am exhausted. Um, I'll talk to you guys in the morning. You know, like my, my group, my group chat, I was in, I'm in three group chats and each of them, I said, listen, I'll talk to you in the morning. I'm exhausted. I went to bed at 8.30. No, no problem. Around, let's see, I think it was 1.30 in the morning. I had this pain, this excruciating pain that I've never felt in my life. It kind of felt like I was constipated, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. And I had to go to the bathroom so bad. And I think I went to the bathroom every 30 minutes from 1.30 in the morning to 6.30 in the morning. And it got to the point where I called my mom and I said, mom, I need you to go to like CVS or something and get some Pepto-Bismol <laughs> because something is not right with my stomach right now. I, I don't feel like myself. Um, and she's like, well, CBS doesn't open until eight. So I can't do that. You, you got, you got to wait. And, um, so I was like, mom, I, I can't wait. I can't wait this long. Um, I, I need you to take me to the emergency room. I need to go right now. Like, I feel like I am dying. I've never felt this way before. And so she took me I'm screaming well first first before before we went to the ER she said go on a walk that'll make you feel better it's February it's snowing she's telling me to walk up and down the stairs saying that'll make you feel better you know get some fresh air I can't walk up and down stairs I can't do it I physically cannot do it so finally you know we got into the car and I'm screaming. I feel like I'm literally about to shit myself. And (laughs) I'm so uncomfortable. We're like probably 15 minutes away from the hospital. She, um, she drops me off at the emergency um, entrance. And the woman, the uh, admin says, you need to file this paperwork, blah, blah, blah. And I said, "I, I can't. I can't fill out this paperwork. I'm 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 gonna murder you if you don't let me see a doctor right now. Like your entire staff, I will murder. <laughs> I I like I, I, I said that to her and she looked at me. She's like, okay, another another crazy bitch here. It's like, no, I'm I'm I I, I I gotta poop. I can't. And this is horrible. You don't know what this feels like. I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna kill you. And then my mom like runs in, fills out the paperwork. So they let they let me be seen and put me into a room. And a nurse came over, and she says, uh, you know, she she's you know, asked me what's wrong, and she takes a look down there, and she says, oh, you have infected hemorrhoids. I'm like, oh, okay, that makes sense. That's why this hurts so bad. I haven't I mean I've never experienced a hemorrhoid before so um she says um yeah let me get an ER doctor and um she'll further explain what's going on uh the doctor came looks at me 
and says, Camille, those aren't infected hemorrhoids. That's a head. And I said, what the hell? Who's head? <laughs> and she says, you're going into labor. And I said, you're a liar. You're a dirty liar. <laughs> Was this mid-push? Was this mid-contraction? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. His head was crowning he was here he was here and I was in denial and my mom is standing next to me holding my hand and she looks at me and she says this isn't 16 and pregnant seven you got this we got this together (laughs) and I'm just like what the actual fuck i'm sorry for my language but seriously like are you what what are you kidding me and so um the doctor says to me i need you to push give me it and so i did i pushed i did three pushes and 10 minutes later arthur was born and I became a mom in 10 minutes. <laughs> and it was the most surreal experience of my life. And that's how I became an unexpected mama. Just like that. Huh, just like that. Just like that. <laughs> and so just I mean, like it that. sounds like um, the times you were going to the bathroom every half an hour, like your water might have broken during that time and you just didn't realize. But I didn't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what happened and like the last you know it was we got to the hospital at 8 40 I had him at 9 10 in the morning mm-hmm. so like a 12 hour labor and you just kind of and then boom a couple pushes and you're done I was like probably if I didn't wait I would have had a had a toilet baby and that would have that would have been like heart, that would would have been way worse. And the mm-hmm. irony is, the one hospital that we did go to, they didn't have um, a maternity ward. Oh wow! So, so how'd they manage you that way? So we had to go to um, the South Shore Hospital. So we were in Milton Hospital, and then they took us to um, South Shore Hospital and. Um, same day like uh, later that afternoon or no with within like 20 minutes of giving birth oh they're like let's get this out (laughs) yeah because it was the emergency room they never deal with babies they've never like been exposed to that type of I mean they have but it's like a very rare occasion um so two ambulances later I'm in one with my mom and they put the baby in another Mm. and you know, that was like, I, I'm in, I'm in a full panic attack. I have no idea what's going on. I'm just like, wait, I have, a, I have a baby. Where is he going? Like, you know, they say that he was like the airlift team. And I'm just like, he's not going in a helicopter. It wasn't even a helicopter. It was just another um, ambulance. And so that was like a 20 minute ride. And it was a 20 minute ride that scared the hell out of me because I just created a life that I didn't know that I created and he was taken away from me Mm. um, within a couple, like probably 20 minutes. And 
it was, you know, it, I was scared, but I had a really great nurses at both hospitals. And um, when we got to South Shore, they put me into a maternity ward and they said, you know, they just wanted to make sure that the baby is okay and um, make sure he's healthy because we didn't know if he was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm laying in in the hospital bed, a midwife comes in and she, you know, she has to stitch me up. And I had no idea that, you know, these are the things that happen to you. Because I know nothing about pregnancy. I know nothing about childbirth. You had no primer time. <laughs> no, you know, like most women have, you know, nine months to prep for this, but I didn't, I had no clue what was, <laughs> what was to be expected. And so like there, here's this woman stitching up my vagina. <laughs> and I have no idea that this is like something that she had to do. Um, and, you know, they're like, oh, do you want us to put on some music? Mind you, I'm high as a kite. I'm high as a kite right now. So I'm like laughing hysterically. And, and so they said, what music do you want us to put on? And I said, I just want Diana Ross, I'm Coming Out. <laughs> out of all the songs, that's the one song I wanted them to play. And so the woman who's, you know, stitching down there, I said, what's your name? And she says, I'm Julie. I said, oh, I've never met a Julie I didn't like. like those were like the outrageous things I was saying and you know after that happened um 15 minutes go by and they told me I have the healthy baby boy he's perfect and I'm just like whoa I'm a mom whoa you know like (laughs) what I can't I can't say that enough whoa Mm-hmm. You know, I, w- I went from, you know, being the, you know, the party, the party girl who, you know, lived, lived her life day by day, doing whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted, with whomever I wanted, to being someone's mother. Mm-hmm. And that was just... It's, I mean, it's still unreal. It's mm-hmm. still so unreal. And, but it's like in a matter of 48 hours, I put, I pulled my shit together and I was like, all right, I got this. I'm because, the yeah, I really did. It's like, I instantly was like, okay, I got this because I feel like some, a lot of the time if that happened to you, um, you wouldn't know what to do. Would you like, would you be scared? hundred percent yes I I was scared would you um want to give him up for adoption those that was like that was a question I was asked I had social workers visiting me in my hospital room asking me you know so the social worker said do I want the child and I said of course I do why wouldn't I want this baby this is the most perfect baby ever and she said well you said while you were giving labor that you didn't want you didn't want him you said take him away whoa they listen to everything you say yeah we do (laughs) and I like you know I'm I was in the middle of having an anxiety attack and had no idea that I was giving birth so what the hell am I supposed to say oh yeah open arms this is just who I wanted this is what I wanted today you know a whole human (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, you know, it it it, it, it was surreal, and the and that kind of just like took me back, like a couple steps, like oh wow, they actually asked me if I wanted my baby, even though you know here I am sitting here breastfeeding this child, mm-hmm. you know. I have balloons and cards and, you know, presents from my friends around me because as soon as my friends found out that I had this baby, it's like a village formed and helped me, you know, mm. in like 24 hours. Then that, that, that's another thing. My friends really came together for me. And that was something, and that, I, I was scared. I was scared to text my best friend and say, I had a baby. because I talked to her the other day I had you know I literally FaceTimed her the other day and I was you know out and about I was out getting a glass of wine like a couple days prior you didn't know you didn't know I had no idea I had no idea and um it was it, it, that that alone was a really that was hard for me to be able to tell my people that I had a baby um because you know I was embarrassed that was my first feeling I was embarrassed to have this baby and that you know like that that kind of breaks my heart to even like say out loud right now that I was embarrassed to have him but it like, how did I not know that I had a baby? How did I not know he was on his way? Like, I missed nine months of, you know, joy that I, I feel like a lot of women get to experience. Mm. Um, you know, that bond that a lot of them get to experience, you know, the preparation I I miss I missed that, and I, and that that made me not only feel heartbroken but I was embarrassed because like how do you not know your body? How am I twenty seven years old and I don't know my body well enough to know that I am carrying a human life, and that you know I mean that that still really makes me. It makes me break down mm-hmm. because um, if I knew that, you know, things would have been completely different for me. Um, but it also like shows me who really cares for me in my life. I've lost a lot of friends in the last five months. Um, I found out who my real, who who my real tribe is, and. It's it's surreal because it's like a lot of the people that I lost are people who I expected to be in my life for, for and you know life life has has its way of um showing you a different path and this was definitely it, it was definitely a path like an unexpected path and. And it opened a, a door of reality because I feel like before I had Arthur, I was living in a fantasy world. Mm-hmm. And now I'm in reality. Like now this is this is adulthood. 
this is growing up. This is, this is who I was meant to be. And I didn't even know it. And now I know who is supposed to be in my life. And, you know, I have, I mean, I always thought that I had like good judge of character, but even now, like compared to, you know, who was in my life before, I feel like I, I did not, I did, I did not know these people. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess, um, would you, uh, would you provide a story or an example, you know, without naming names, if you don't feel comfortable, yeah. but just like, like how, how, like, what does this mean? So, Okay. Here, two examples. I text one friend that you won't believe what happened. I had a baby. No, you didn't. No, you didn't have a baby. <laughs> yes, I did. What the fuck? Not congratulations. Oh. And I mean, I, I expect, you know, like, what the hell? Congratulations. But no congratulations at all. Mm-hmm. Are you keeping it? Or some of the questions um, that I got from certain people. Are you keeping it? Uh, a, one of the main questions that a lot of people ask me, and my closest friends didn't ask this question. Who's the father? And, and that for some reason really pissed me off because it's like I just told you I brought life into this world and the first thing you're saying to me is who's the baby daddy I felt like I was on an episode of Maury and that was like the one thing that I would never want to be on and feel like and that's how I felt I felt like I was being placed in this category of that you know person on the Dr. Oz show who's like oh I had a baby I'm from you know bumfuck Kentucky and I had no idea that I was having a baby and that's like the stereotype of cryptic pregnancies mm-hmm. is that it's like a hillbilly person who has no idea that she's pregnant and has a toilet baby and that's not what it is at all and um you know that and I I, I got defensive I got angry and I was I was sad and people weren't realizing that they were being insensitive. They weren't asking me how my baby was, how I was doing. They were asking me, you know, the questions that honestly didn't matter who the baby's father was, who, who is the baby's father? Um, how did you not know? Are you keeping the baby? Like, those are the questions that made me so mad. And I would just, I would, you know, I should be thrilled that I'm having this baby. But the first night I was in the hospital, I just, I cried. I was crying because, you know, I felt like I was alone and I felt embarrassed. And I was, I, I didn't know what I was doing or how I was going to do it. Mm -hmm. And that scared me to a point where I was like, I don't, I don't, I, I honestly, I don't know. I don't know what to do. I didn't know how to, how to feel. Um, and then I got the messages from my friends who support me, who say, congratulations, 
this is amazing. You brought a life into this world and he is so perfect. He is so beautiful. We're going to make it through this. You have us here. We support you. You're going to be the best mother we know you're going to be. And because of that, because of those those messages, I was able to get through and realize, you know, I do have a good group of friends. You know, like they pulled together and they were like, what do you need? Because I had nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you you know, there's no nursery. There's no. You didn't have a baby shower, <laughs> <laughs> right? I, like, there's sizes for diapers. What? I just thought all babies were diapers. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. uh, car seats. You can't leave the hospital without a car seat. I had no crib. Um, it was, you know, my people came through for me, and showed up with baby clothes showed up with diapers uh the people that I did tell they were like what can we send you what do you need and I was like I don't know what I need I don't (laughs) um you know I was I was telling my mom friends and like my my friends who are experienced expected mamas (laughs) and they um they pulled through and they you know showered me with support and things that they felt that you know all new moms should have and because of that I was able to get through um my first couple months of having Arthur which is you know it's still so surreal and you know every day every day everyone still says to me like is there can we do anything do you need anything I mean, I need everything. I don't, I still need everything. I don't, I still don't know what to expect. I mean, just the other day, my cousin said to me, um, you know, you'll be needing a new car seat soon. What? (laughs) (laughs) What what are you talking about? And she's like, yeah, you know, there's next level of car seat. I have, I have have no idea what that means. I like there's, there's levels to this parenting thing and I am learning every single day what they are. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's scary and it's expensive. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it's it, it, it's like I said, it, this is just unexpected. And I feel like given my situation, how I processed it and how I've been doing for the last five months I've I've been crushing it (laughs) I really do especially you know I'm a single mom I'm do I mean I'm not doing it on my own because I have my family support and they are so wonderful Mm -hmm. they're absolutely wonderful is he the first grandchild for your parents um for my mother yes for my father no and so she was there for it too, to like, like yeah. surprise your grandma. Yeah. And she was just, my mom tells me that it was the best day of her life because mm-hmm. he brought a new meaning to her life. 
and he did that for both of us. And I mean, I didn't realize it at the time. At the time, I just thought I I messed up. I felt like I made a big mistake, and because I wasn't ready, I wasn't ready to be someone's mother. Um, I'm you know like I've always, like I said, I've always dreamt of what I would be like as a mom with the white picket fence, the family, and you know just instantly having this just you know come into my life and just have it happen just have him appear it's like the scariest best surprise of my life and I'm I'm, I'm at a I'm just at a loss for words just because think I haven't really thought about the experience and and like since it happened like I wrote you saw you saw my mother's day post Mm -hmm. and how I you know like that 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 alone was so hard for me to write to really you know share with people what actually happened because people just thought that I was like pulling a Kylie Jenner and did not tell anyone that I was pregnant and you know was keeping it very hush hush which is so unlike me because I am like queen of social media I love to share my life with people and for this not to be shared with the world like really took people back you know and this like also goes back to you know like figuring out who my friends are Mm -hmm. you know I, I I got messages from people like when I first posted my first picture of Arthur people asked you know do you have pictures of you pregnant? Someone asked me that. And that, you know, that hurt me a lot because I didn't. And, you know, I was embarrassed to say, oh, I didn't know I was pregnant to that person. And I've known that person like since I was probably 15 years old. And, you know, I wasn't able to confess to them how I didn't know this and I because I felt like I was going to get judged mm-hmm. and that you know like that and because I just said no I I don't have pictures to share um they treated me as though you know like I I was neglecting our friendship oh and yeah that I imagine is such an interesting aspect of this is how much people project onto you with their own you know like motherhood and like child rearing is such a weird thing and some people are infertile for various reasons they are unable to conceive or have children so it's like they'll just kind of like throw it at you and it's like you're this woman who just was given a child and that's your fault for some reason yeah and the fact that I didn't want to share it with the world was my fault and especially with someone who I've known for about 15 years mm-hmm. unfriended me off Facebook unfollowed me on Instagram and I just was like that is bizarre that to me threw me it threw me off and it made and you know I had Arthur in February and I didn't announce you know what really happened until what well, May so um 
that I, I had to have him for myself for a bit oh, before fair. before I could really share him with the world. Mm -hmm. And that was that was a decision that was also hard for me because I thought to my I was contemplating back and forth. Do I want to share this child with the world or do I keep this a secret? Only my friends, only my close friends and my family will know about him. And, you know, that's how it was for a while. And then, you know, I had that moment where I said, hmm, it'll be kind of weird when I'm posting up pictures with a four-year-old and everyone's like, where'd this four-year-old come from? Well, you guys didn't know I had a baby four years ago, (laughs) you know? Um, Yeah, I had to put that into consideration, like, I hated thinking that way, what others will think. Mm-hmm. But I put that on the back burner for the first four months. And I just loved him and showered him with my love and focused on him and myself and getting my mental health strong before I could really, you know, show everybody, hey, this is this little person that I made. Mm-hmm. and you know that 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 that's one of the that that's been one of the hard hard parts for me um just figuring out how to tell people um but I got a, I got over it I got over it real quick because he is really damn cute mm-hmm. and I love sharing him with people <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that's 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 been fun for me but I still I, I still keep it kind of like on the low like I, I I don't want I only want people who are friends with me on you know like Facebook to see I don't put them on my Instagram or my Twitter or anything because those are still like my public personas of you know my stand-up person mm-hmm. and like on my main Instagram there are no pictures of Arthur and on my private Instagram that I have with like my 200 followers, there's two pictures of him. Um, but on Facebook, there's already like 700. <laughs> so, you know, and I also, I always said to myself, oh, I'm not going to be one of those mothers that takes a million pictures of her baby. But that is so me. Mm-hmm. That's so me. And I am, you know, I'm not afraid to really express the story anymore because I was I was like I said I ultimately I was embarrassed I was embarrassed to become this mother because I didn't know mm-hmm. and I want to end the stereotype for women who don't know that they're pregnant and have the baby because I found like it it's not common I've done a lot of research about the cryptic pregnancies mm-hmm. and it, it's obviously not common um and um you the feelings that a lot of them have it's they feel embarrassed they don't know how to um process how to cope because a lot of the time it's you know it, it's an it's just an average it's an average woman living her life day by day and um the next day it completely 
changes mm-hmm. and you have you have like no idea where where you're gonna go with this how you're going to process this um and um I'm sorry I'm just it's like it's like my brain is just like racking all the emotions that I've, I've had yeah um, I'm sure one thing that I think is interesting is the you know it's like the there's a sequence of events that you that happen that it must happen, right? Like quote in quotes must happen. Like you 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 find out about the pregnancy, you, then you uh, then you have the the positive urine test, and then you have the the gender reveal, and then you have the baby shower, and then you have the what you know. There's a whole sequence to it, and mm-hmm. when that sequence is not there or interrupted, it's just like people are. It's like very hard for people to conceptualize. And, um, you know, this is a dip, totally different scale, but um, Mackenzie and I, we eloped. We just decided to get married and we, like, we, we had been engaged and we were just like, let's go on a lunch break to the courthouse to get our, like, marriage certificate. And it threw people off, you know, because it, we didn't do the whole, like... Setting. It wasn't traditional. Yeah, they didn't send out the save, save the date. We didn't send out the thingy. We didn't do all the, all the things that, you know, you must do. And it's... Right. And it's like at, on this side of it, on the far, on like with a couple, with a couple years of, of, of perspective on the matter, I'm like, I'm glad we didn't go through that whole rigmarole because it would have, it just, it, it just would have been different, you know? And I would, I would, I'm just so much happier to have just gone on with it and, and started living the life with it rather than like spending so much time in the prodromal, like the leading up to it. And I know that your, your experience is different entirely, but I wonder like with that perspective of like you know, only five months. Um, like, do you, do you, at this point, do you feel like you've missed out on a lot by not having I'm that? I'm happy like- with that. No, no, because if, and I, I, I've thought about this a lot. If I, if I, um, if I knew that I was having a baby, I would have been stressed out constantly. Mm-hmm. Mm. I would have, my body would have reacted poorly because I don't handle stress well. Mm. Um, and, you know, like I, like I have, I'd go into like severe anxiety attacks if I knew mm. that I was having a child. And because I didn't know this, I lived my life day by day, like I normally would have. And, you know, just my average day of getting up, going to work doing my thing, you know, seeing my friends and, you know, just living my average day. And if I didn't do that, I would have been stressed. I would have constantly been thinking, how am I going to support this child? I don't know how I'm going to do this. Mm -hmm. The father and I aren't together anymore. So I am going to be doing this by myself, you know, and those were like, I felt like those would would have been the things that I would have been obsessing over mm-hmm. not oh I'm having a baby and this is going to be so nice he's going to be in a fantastic home surrounded by family and loved ones no nothing like that I would have I would have not never thought like that I would have been panicked for nine months and scared mm-hmm. um and I, um, I, uh, I'm glad, I'm glad that didn't happen. 
Mm-hmm. I'm glad that I uh, had my own. Um, I'm glad that I had my own um, non-experience of my non-traditional <laughs> experience. Mm-hmm. I guess, yeah. Um, it's a better story for sure. Yeah, and I was thinking, like, when I first had Arthur, too, I said to my mom, I don't have a sonogram. And she looked at me, and she said, Camille, I don't know where the hell your sonogram is. (laughs) And I said, you don't? And she said, I don't. But you know what you have? You have this story. And that's so much better than a sonogram. Mm -hmm. And she's right. It definitely, it definitely was. Um, yeah. And I, I, I you know, I want to ask this question respectfully, like, and because this is something for me as a, you know, as a man who had, you know, years of sowing his wild oats and like, mm-hmm. what was the conversation? Like, have you had that conversation with the father and you, I want to give you the option to not address this if you don't feel comfortable. Oh yeah. No, um, we, we addressed it. It took me, so I contacted his family and let him know because the father, um, he was in, uh, I have to figure out like the best way to put this. Um, he was in treatment mm-hmm. for, because he broke his back and ultimately became addicted to opioids. Mm-hmm. And so he went to treatment to get better. And that's ultimately why we broke up because I was like, I'm not going to be with someone who's a drug addict. And that's not, you know, like, that's not who I am. I don't do drugs. I don't want to be surrounded by drugs. Um, mm-hmm. So we broke up and I carried on with my life thinking, okay, I'm never going to have to deal with this person again in my life ever again. And so you know, (laughs) lo and behold, I have this baby and I'm thinking, okay, he has to know, I have to tell him. So I called his mom um, because we were together for like two and a half years. Um, Would this be her first grandchild? No. Okay. It wouldn't. So he has sisters. They have... um, and I've seen her as a grandmother and she's so great. But when I told her that I had her son's child, she didn't believe me. Mm. She said I was lying. She said it wasn't her, it wasn't her grandson and that she wanted a paternity test. But I had to wait. I had to wait for the paternity test because he was at a treatment facility. And so two months go by until I finally hear from him and we went and we well he he's out of out of the state so we went to a place that um, was located in Boston and one was located where he is and they did the test which is so crazy first of all (laughs) they um yeah this this just made me mad. Um, so they wouldn't give me the information. Like we paid for, you know, instant results to find out, but they only give the person who pays the instant results. I have to wait one to two weeks to get my results mailed to me. 
and I was so bullshit because I'm like this is my child too and they said oh well that doesn't matter because he's paying for it uh if he is the father he can tell you um if he isn't you'll find out in one to two weeks and I'm like you're treating my child as though he's I felt like we were nothing and that made me feel horrible but you know we knew we knew Arthur was his because Arthur has blue eyes and blonde hair <laughs> and that is what his father looks like and there's it down a little bit <laughs> and um I I do not have any of those features so you know it was it was pretty obvious I sent and I also sent pictures to his mom like I even though what she said really upset me. I continued to send photos of the baby so she could see, you know, mm-hmm. see him because I she, wasn't. Yeah, whether she wants to or not, she should be involved. I mean, it's like your blood. I think there's a level of like, you don't get to choose. You kind of have to. Yeah, and that that was really hard for me to deal with, especially because my family dynamic is a little, was a little unhinged. But that's that's another beautiful thing about Arthur. He's brought my family back together. And um, my mom's family. We hadn't talked to my aunt and uncle in eight years. And we really, I, I, we really needed them um, to be around. And my mom just broke down and we had to call and say, we need your help because you know we were we were we were going through some personal things and we 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 called and she said come on over with open arms it's like and as though you know we even though we did go through some really trying times and just like did not talk for eight whole years we became a family instantly again mm-hmm. and that that was beautiful to me you know, I got, I got my cousins back. I, mm. I got my aunt and my uncle back and I thought I would never have that again, but Arthur brought, brought us all back together. And honestly, that's like what I want for his father's side of the family. And even though we did get the results back saying 99.99999%, I still haven't heard from them. Mm. So it's, 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 it's whether I want, now it's up to this part of me. Do I want to go through, going through the court system and dealing with custody battles and child support? And that's like the next part of adulthood that (laughs) I've been low key avoiding. I've been avoiding this just because I've been, I've been going through my own personal transition and you know I I haven't been I know I'm not strong enough right now to mentally go through with Mm -hmm. dealing with the courts and dealing with lawyers and you know who's going to have this child you know custody battle and that is like that that's the next scary part Mm -hmm. for me and that's 
what I'm ultimately building up to. So like maybe by fall or hell, even winter is when I'm really going to start tackling that because right now I can't, I just, I, Mm -hmm. I can't, I, I mean, his father has my information. He knows my number. He knows where to find me, but he hasn't, he hasn't reached out. I heard from him once after we, you know, we discussed this. He said, oh yeah, I'll help you. And then I just never heard from him. How long ago was that? So it's kind of, um, let's see, it's, it's July, right? Mm -hmm. So I want to say May, it was around May. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We had the paternity test in April and May. I heard from him once. Before or after Mother's Day? Um, before. I didn't even get a happy Mother's Day, which, I mean, like, I knew I wouldn't, <laughs> but... It would have been nice. It would have been it nice. Would have been, it would have been nice, and it made, it, like, annoyed me that I didn't, especially mm-hmm. because, you know, I brought this little person who is, like, you into the world, and you can't even recognize, give me that recognition, mm-hmm. and it, it pissed me off. It did. I mean, I didn't say anything, but it did. And then, um, since I'm me, I, <laughs> I have, I have the he. We we got these little sets of shirts from my friends, and one of the friends said, "Hey," like one of the shirts said, "Hey, Dad," on it. And I like always just it was in the back of his drawer, and so on Father's Day I threw it on him, and I did a. I sent him a photo of him <laughs> wearing the shirt to the dad and it just went on red and that was it. And I'm just like, okay, say no more. Literally say no more. I get it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, cause I just wanted to see if I say happy father's day to you, how would you react? Mm-hmm. And I got no reaction. So ultimately I, at that moment I realized, okay, I'm the mother and the father here. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. That's okay because there's so many strong, strong people in this world who have just been raised by their mothers, um, including myself. I mean, my father was around, but like as in my teenage years, he wasn't really. Mm-hmm. And it was my mom. It's always been me and my mom. And my mom is my best friend. She is my rock. And she... <laughs> like going through all this she is definitely a role model to me and if it wasn't for her I wouldn't be able to be where I am right now at this very moment Mm -hmm. and she helped me be the strong independent woman that I am Mm -hmm. and made it so I am capable to continue to be the strong independent woman to raise this beautiful little boy and you know have him grow into a strong successful man is what I'll want him to be mm-hmm. so that's you know essentially <laughs> where I am with dad he's not here so it's it's me mm-hmm. well it's the just thing me. that I'm learning more and more as I go through this is if you if you think that like mother father and child is the perfect unit 
that's that's still in like anything any deviation from that is broken i think the more i go into the the more i'm experiencing life i'm realizing that the mother father child unit is a broken unit it's not enough like there's just there's just not enough there and you need the grandparents you need you need aunts and uncles you need cousins you need uh it it, it really you know the trite thing it needs it takes a village but it really does and to to put all of it on just the parents is is broken is a broken way of looking at it and it's not oh yeah and like right now, my mom, his grandmother is watching him like take so I can have this conversation with you. Like it's and she that's looked- exactly what's happening with me, too. My mom, she just looked at me. She's looking at me through the glass door and she's like, are you on the phone? Are you on? The-? And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm mouthing to her. Yeah, I am. She's like, oh, OK, OK. Well, we're up. That's all. And my mom is walking with my son over there. Like she, like I just see it. It's just like oh yeah, it's it's so great. It's so great how your parents pull through for you because it's like you know you like my mom said. I gave her a new meaning of life by bringing Arthur in to the world, and she loves it. It's like I don't even have to ask her twice if she can you know, watch, watch him for me, which is, which is amazing. Like she left her job so she could be his permanent nanny because I don't trust childcare. Mm-hmm. And it scares me, especially because like weeks prior to, you know, having Arthur, I was just looking, I, I, I'd be watching the news and they'd say horrible things about daycares. And, and I'm, and I'd say to myself, Oh, if I have a kid, he's never going to daycare. Well, I meant that. <laughs> I meant that. And so fortunately for me, I have my aunt and I have my mother and they love him and are there for him mm. whenever I need it. And it's funny because, you know, just because I've had Arthur and given the fact that, you know, my life has changed drastically, I still am able to do some of the things that I did before, like I go out with my girlfriends. You know, I don't do it as much as I did, but I you know, I find the time to do it. And, you know, they're so great to me. They're like, yeah, still go have fun, go do you and be you still, you know, just because I'm a mom doesn't mean that I'm not, you know, still Camille. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's also something that I've been learning and digesting, Mm -hmm. you know, that, I still can go do, I can still live my life mm-hmm. and yeah, it's and hard. I'm at the same, <laughs> I'm, it's like right around six months-ish is sort of when you like are able to take a little bit of distance and they're mm-hmm. starting to like come online enough. And I'm, it's the same way for me. I'm like, oh, I can go back and I can like practice my movement. I can do like, I can do all these wacky things that used to be Eugene, but like for the past year has not been Eugene because we're trying to get ready for this baby. You know, it's like all that right. stuff. Right, exactly. And that's, that's kind of where, where I'm at. Like, if, you know, like, I, like, I want to go out and I miss, you know, I have, I have FOMO like crazy Mm -hmm. because I see my friends, they're they're going on all doing all the fun things that we all used to do together as a group. But now, you know, I'm feel like I'm being excluded because I have Arthur and it, it bums me out but at the same time it's like uh, I'd rather be home with the baby anyway mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and but also it's like my friends are conscious about 
including me still Mm -hmm. they still will include me even though they know I can't do it and that's what matters most to me like they still say hey do you want to come out but they know that I can't Mm -hmm. so they know that I they they know I'll say no Mm -hmm. but the fact that they're asking if I want to Mm-hmm. those are the real friends because those invitations will stop rolling in and uh yeah I, i've noticed the same thing too where it's like as long as the invitations keep coming i feel like i'm at least you know in the group still yeah that's only it's been it's been a challenge but um <laughs> it's uh it, it it just seems it seems petty to complain about Mm-hmm. so I, I just kind of shrug my shoulders at it now and then you know it's summertime I'm just like guys just come over to my pool hang out with me because <laughs> we have a pool we can just float around the pool you know it's like sure we used to go to the beach and just you know like get drunk at the beach every day during the summer but you know let's you know we don't have to do that we can just hang by the pool but now my friends are like oh we want to wait until arthur's older you know a little older so we can all do group activities together i'm like okay that's great but i don't want to wait one to two years to see you again mm-hmm. you know they're like oh it'll be so much fun we can go to children's museums and blah 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 i'm like yeah but you know let's live in the now mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. It, it's i don't know it's weird it's 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 hard to explain, but I mean, you know, you know, you know what it, you know how it is. I know how. It is. I <laughs> yeah, you. I got you. <laughs> for, for, for the for the people who aren't parents, mm-hmm. it's um, I don't, I don't, I like I said, I don't know how to explain it. It's just mm-hmm. it, it's parenthood. <laughs> yeah, especially new parenthood. It's just like this whole new hat that you're trying to figure out. How does it fit? Well, I was thinking this is a good point to maybe transition to the next prompt of before I die. I want. Okay. What do you think about that? Yeah, let's do it. How do you finish that prompt? How do... Okay, before I die. Hmm. That's a, it's an excellent question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> really is. It makes you think. Um, before I die, I, I want to feel like I conquered this motherhood thing. And I know... I know it's and I know it's going to be a journey and it's going to take me a long 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 time to get there Mm -hmm. but ultimately I want to give Arthur his best life because I my mom gave my mom gave her life to give me my life and that's what I want to do for Arthur I have to learn how to be selfless and so and like just not be selfish and only think about myself which is very hard for me and so I I'm learning that I want to give myself a hundred to him it's what I want I want to give my life so I can make his life better make it what, the best life that he can what have would that like how would you know you hit it like what would what are some of the signposts along the way 
ultimately, you know, it's 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 the general things. Like I want him to have a extraordinary education. Mm-hmm. I want him to have be surrounded by great people that he can learn from, but also have strong bonds with, mm-hmm. um, making, you know, everlasting friendships, like childhood friendships, like I have, I want, I mean, I want him to have the things that I had growing mm-hmm. up, you know, like growing up in the cul-de-sac, riding your bikes with your friends, having those friends for 20 something years. That's, I mean, that's what I have. Mm-hmm. And I want him to experience that. I want him to experience life at the fullest. And in order to do so, you know, I have to work. I I have to, and I want to work hard. And I am working hard for it. Um, <laughs> and we're only on month five. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I... Um, Here's a tough question for you. And you, you these are tough questions. <laughs> here's another one. So uh and then and recognizing the fact you're only five months into this is um when when do you think you'd be able to leave the picture? like when would you have had enough time with him to give him that that living his best life that you could be like, if I go after this point, I think it's okay. It's not great. Of course you'd want to spend more time with him. Could you even imagine? No. (laughs) I can't. I I can't. I couldn't. I I don't want to say I'm like a helicopter parent because I don't I I I don't feel like I've I've reached that status just because he is five months, but like in the future, like will I be like I want him to have his own independence and him to grow as his own person don't get me wrong I want like that's what all parents want you you know we raise them until they get to the point of you know they can go off on their own and they can live their own life and they can make it their best life Mm -hmm. but you know up until that point you know like when he is an adult you know I want him to look back and say my mom did everything that she could do and made it so I had everything I wanted and needed to succeed to get wherever he is in the future and you know like that that that's what I want ultimately I want him to be able to say my mom did all she could do Mm -hmm. and more and yeah and and it's crazy because before I had him I feel like I had no compassion. I mean, I had compassion for people, obviously, but like I didn't have as much compassion and I was selfish and only thought about myself. But now I don't feel that way. I feel like I am, you know, I care more. I love harder. And, you know, I'm more sensitive to how other people feel, including myself. And that's, that's definitely, you know, something that's been hard for me to work, you know, understand. It's it's been hard for me to grasp on to the fact that I'm actually, that this is like a new version of me Mm -hmm. that I didn't think was possible. Mm. And, you know, just to, just to go back to that point about 
um, you want him to be able to look back and say, uh, my mom did everything she could. And I think that with the support system that you've developed and the, with, the, with the way it sounds like your family has come together on his behalf, um, it sounds like, honestly, realistically, you could go out in the next couple of months and he'd still be able to look at that, look back and say, look, she did everything she could have for that short time she, ha- she was around for. And she set up all the support for me to be able to kick, kick off, kick off into a really cool life. Absolutely. And that's ultimately why I did want to be back in touch with my family, my family in Massachusetts. Um, because, you know, if something did happen to me, I, I want him to have family that he could surround himself with and feel comfortable being around and you know even 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 if I am like you know I am here still he'll still have people that he can call on and say you know you know there's those moments where you can't talk to your parents you know (laughs) and (laughs) because that's life and I want him to have those cousins that he can go to and say hey let's you know, I, I want to talk to you about this, have an aunt and uncle that he can talk about things to and feel comfortable because, you know, he doesn't feel like he can talk to his mom about that. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I, I just wanted to build, you know, or make, make, make this village possible. Like not even just to have it be my family, but have my friends there for him as well, which, which they are. Mm-hmm. So this kid doesn't know how good he has it already. Mm -hmm. Just with like the love, just the love and support that is around him. And Mm -hmm. ultimately like that's, that's all I want. I just want him to always feel like he is love Mm -hmm. and that no matter where he turns, people will always be there for him. Mm -hmm. And he won't be scared of you know he he just he just won't be scared he won't be afraid to ask us for things and um oh god I'm getting emotional again (laughs) this is this is another thing that's like super new for me just I cry over everything (laughs) I cry over everything like I like especially after I had him I just you know I look I was looking at him and I just started crying I'm like what the hell is wrong with me I just he smiled I cried you know Mm. he burped I cried you know (laughs) like everything every it's just everything but yeah anyway just I want him to feel love mm-hmm. and uh something that you said that resonates with me is that just like getting your friends involved and imagining your, that his their involvement because uh, and maybe this is something that you're feeling too is like I have these group of friends that I went to college with and you know they they don't feel like they're in a place yet to have kids you know and I, I see I see them in 10 years and I see how amazing they'd be as a resource for my child. Like, mm-hmm. as, as like, you know, as an uncle, like, Oh, they, they know law. They know like all this business. Like it's like, just like I see it in my friends and they don't see it in themselves yet of just mm-hmm. how much they will like one day I'll be able to trust them so much with my child. And I don't, they, they're, they're, they're not there yet to even feel like they're able to accept it. And I'm just like, I'm patient. We're going to build this. Like, but like, right. No, I'm, I'm the same way. I'm the same way. I mean, I have my friends who are like, Oh, I'm super excited to be a parent. And this is so cool. 
that we get to live vicariously through you and your journey first, which is honestly hilarious because my childhood best friend is pregnant right now mm-hmm. and she's having a son. And so I'm living vicariously through her being pregnant right now. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's like usually the other way around. Like she's, you know, how is it the aftermath? But I'm just like, every day I text her and I'm like, how are you? How's your belly today? Like, how do you feel? <laughs> you know? And so oh, it, it's that, it's that type of support, you know? So I, like, I, I completely understand where you're coming from. Like how, I have one friend who is a phenomenal businessman and he's so smart. And I asked Arthur to be, or I asked him to be Arthur's godfather because I mean, ultimately right now, I know he has no idea what babies and how to act around a baby, let alone, you know, hold one. Um, and so, but I know when Arthur's older, he's going to learn so much from him. Things that I will never be able to teach him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And 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 that's what's important to me is he'll he'll be able to learn and grow from their experiences. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like that. That's why it's so important to really consider who your people are right now and in regards to you know like your party friends you know like they they won't be good influences on him or and uh i i want the people who are thriving in their lives and you know will be thriving even more so like yeah they go out and they have good times still but ultimately they are smart and they are fantastic fierce individuals and that's who i want to surround my child with mm-hmm. yeah it definitely yeah. changes the nature of friendships in that kind of way it's like <laughs> oh wow <laughs> okay all right seriously mm-hmm. and uh, i wonder is there anything else on that list of before i die um i mean before i die i want i want to be a success to myself mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, I haven't even lived my life and lived the life that I ultimately wanted for myself. Like I, I'm, I'm a planner. I'm a planner, Eugene. Mm-hmm. All I do is plan. Like I planned my life. So the fact that I had this baby unexpectedly threw me off guard completely, <laughs> and I was not. I was so unprepared and I'm the, I'm the person who's always prepared for things, you know, like I live for scheduling and having an itinerary and making sure like things go from point A to point B and are done in a timely fashion. And the fact that, you know, Arthur was just thrown into my life kind of, you know, I have to figure out how I can still do the things that I wanted to do before I had him and how I can still do them, but with him mm-hmm. and not think of it as a, Oh, I can't do it anymore. I can't live my life the way I wanted to, but now I get to live my life and I get to live it with someone who I love endlessly. And we get, we, we get to do it together. 
And I think that is that I think that's even cooler because I, I mean, I, there are so many things that in my life that I wanted, I mean, like from like traveling to building my stand up career. I, I do executive assistant work. That's what I do for a living. And ultimately, like my my dream has always to, you know, have my Netflix special. And that's not gonna stop me. I mean, I like I told you, I'm still I I'm writing I'm writing new material as we speak. And I feel now that I have Arthur, he's probably gonna provide me with some really, really good things because kids are funny mm-hmm. and I'll be able like I can't look at this as a negative and say my life is over but it's really just started mm-hmm. and it's going to start because of him and I mean there there, there are just so many things I want to do before I die and I, that, that's just that's just the list that's that would take us way too long to, <laughs> to really even get into. But ultimately, I, I'm I'm gonna just make it plain and simple. Before I die, I I just I want to continue to know that I will have happiness, and that that that, that that's where that's where I'm at right now. Just to have the happy that I have. Good stuff. I think that's a that's a good and simple answer. And I think that lets us move into this yeah. next prompt of uh, when I die, I want. How do you finish it? Yeah, it's I still I, I I want I want happiness. I like I, I'm it's it's a simple, open ended answer, mm-hmm. but that that that's what I want. I want I want the I want everyone around me to celebrate to celebrate life, to celebrate the life that I lived, to celebrate the life that I created. Mm-hmm. And to be sad, but only be sad because my physical being is not there anymore. Not, you know, not because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm gone. They'll be sad, but just I want them to celebrate the fact that I accomplished the things that I did. I accomplished motherhood, mm-hmm. um, friendship, being someone's partner, um, being someone's friend, being someone's mother. Those are those are things that I want. I want those to be celebrated. It's, how uh and so a lot of times um someone will have either an example of like this happening like and they want to emulate that or they had an example of uh this not happening and they don't want it to be like that so they want it to be different is that is that uh or do you fall, fall into either one of those camps um oh, i have to think about that um like I, I I don't want to I don't want to give you a stupid answer and I don't want to give like I don't want to give a wrong answer you know mm-hmm. I overthink these things that's fair how about this let's go this way okay. um okay. has there been a death that has affected you greatly yes yes there has been um my brother he passed away when I was nine years old mm-hmm. 
Um, How old was he? Yeah. He was 30. He was mm-hmm. 30. He was my half brother, but mm-hmm. he, from my dad's first marriage. And he was, um, my, my, my dad had three, three sons before he had me and the oldest one was most like me. Mm -hmm. and he he did not hold it against the fact that we had this like 30 age difference between us and you know that I'm from the second marriage like the other two did and so when he passed away he he was hit by a car um and he was in France Oh, for no. the tour for the for the for the tour de France and um he was crossing the street and this car um stopped to let people cross to let the pedestrians cross the street and he this other car behind them didn't realize that that car stopped for that so she went around the car and just hit everybody who was crossing the street and my brother was the only one who died at the scene. And um, that honestly is when I grew up instantly because I not only lost my brother, I lost my family dynamic. My dad, it was his first son. My dad lost his mind. You know, like they say that death brings you closer or separates you from people. And my dad, he went south instead of coming closer mm-hmm. to my mom and myself. So ultimately, I was nine years old is when my mom, when it just became my mom and I, I lost my dad. I lost who my father was. And that was. And I didn't know it. I didn't realize it at the time. Mm. You know, that was that was the first time I saw my father cry. And I didn't understand why. I didn't understand what death was. And I had, you know, prior to that, my grandmother passed away probably two months prior to that. Was that his mother? My no, my mom's mom, okay. who I adored so much. Like she she, I, she was an angel and you know I didn't understand that death so the fact that I had two significantly like deaths in my life just happen like that it, I felt like I had to grow up mm-hmm. and I grew up that like I had to understand the concept of you know losing someone and losing the people around you you know, it it started it started a war on both sides of my family. You know, like my parents started fighting. My mom and her siblings started fighting. My dad and my half siblings started fighting. So I felt I felt alone. I felt like it was my fault that my parents were fighting because I couldn't keep them 
happy anymore. You know, I could, you know, just by being, you know, the selfless little kid that I was, Mm -hmm. I couldn't bring them that happiness that they had. And so, you know, I, for a long, I feel like that's essentially like when my depression started and I didn't even know it. Mm -hmm. And losing my brother had had such a effect on me that when I was younger I did not really understand why I felt that way and then as I grew older that started affecting me more and more so once it gets closer to the anniversary of it it's like Mm -hmm. I get sad and it's like, wow, I'm almost 30 years old myself. And that's like close to, you know, the age he was when he died. And I can't, you know, he missed, he missed, he missed all of my life, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I, I wish he could have been there to see, you know, who I grew into. And that goes for my father as well. My dad missed a lot of who. I was because he separated himself mm-hmm. from from us like he tore our family apart because his heart was broken and I now as an adult I realize I understand where he's coming from because I mean, if, god forbid if I ever lost Arthur I don't know how I would react I often say to my patients that like I am one or two really bad days away from sitting in their chair and someone else sitting as a psychiatrist to me. It's just like one or two bad days. That's all it is. That's all that separates us mm-hmm. from like losing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I watched my dad have a mental breakdown. And ultimately, you know, I didn't, I didn't understand what was going on. And I watched my mom struggle with depression for the last 20 years and I mean she still does and you know I I've had I've had to be the rock I feel like I've had to be that rock for her in order to live day by day you know like trying to get my mom to just get out of bed mm-hmm. and you know do stuff with me because I went from like having a very active childhood to you know not understanding why my mom wouldn't leave her bedroom and would lock herself in her room for months, you know? And like looking back today, I understand that was how she coped with her depression. And, you know, given the, the, my situation and everything that I've gone through and how some days I just want to sit in bed and I don't want to move or do anything I realize I can't do that I I can't because you know I have Arthur now and I need to support him and I can't do that if I fall into that funk and so I just have to keep telling myself you don't want to end up like that you have to continue to be this this person this rock this support for your family mm-hmm. And, you know, it's it's just, it's been something that I've always had to be since I was nine, basically. And it's hard. 
I mean, it's, I mean, it's going on 20 years and it is, it's, it's still hard for me to deal with, especially because I'm not close with my brothers. Um, I, I don't know how they feel when it comes to losing our brother because they were, they were closer with them. They grew up with them. So I don't, and you know, I didn't experience what they experienced. So I feel, I can only imagine, you know, it hurts them even more, Mm -hmm. but I'll never know that because we don't have that type of relationship. Mm -hmm. And we, I mean, ultimately we never will because it's just, we're too far gone in our adulthood now where it just, even if we, we try and say, Hey, let's be friends. We've tried. And it's, it's just, that's it, it's it's another thing for me. I realize that you can't force your family to like you, even though you're family. Mm-hmm. You know, like, well, that's the thing. You're, you're, not, blood... you're not family. You're not friend. You're not you're not friends. You're family. Like you don't you don't right. have to like each other, but you have to, like. And but the question is whether or not you love each other enough to like get past the fact that you don't like each other. Yeah. And that's just something that we can't. And it's like, that's a conversation Mm -hmm. I've had with my parents on multiple occasions. Like, listen, especially now because of the baby, I'm just like, I can't do it. I can't go through life having the struggle of saying, listen, you have this uncle that I don't talk to. You know, I rather him just not know that he has the uncle Mm -hmm. because he hurt me that much. And it's just it's 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 just not worth it to me and like those are like you know I'm I know I'm just like running on and like going into like switching back and forth to different things but like you know what I want for Arthur and that's not what I want I don't want him to you know think oh mom has this brother that she doesn't talk to why haven't I talked to him mm-hmm. like you know I just don't want him to even know mm. I have him because he hurt me that much and I don't want to I don't want that hurt to transfer over to him mm. because if this kid is anything like me emotions will just go right onto him and he'll feel and it'll hurt him mm-hmm. and I don't want that for him mm. and also the other thing is that it's you know this it's his story too right like he and and, you know i'm not trying to tell you what to do but it's it's like you know when he gets to a certain age maybe he starts looking into things and then he starts to see like maybe this is something i want to take on and it's such a it's you know like as this generation we can want things for this and i've and i've thought of that Mm -hmm. and trust me i've thought Mm -hmm. and if he wants to he's more than welcome to I won't stop him, but I just want him to know to tread lightly, to be careful Mm -hmm. because I was hurt and I don't want him to be hurt, but that's his journey and Mm -hmm. he needs to learn on his own. And, you know, like, like I said, I don't want to be a helicopter parent and say, oh, you can't do this. You can't do that. I want you to live your life and I want you to experience your own life experiences. And that's definitely something that he will do. Um, but I, you know, I, I can't stop him from wanting to 
meet an uncle, meet, meet an aunt that just because, you know, there's bad blood between his sibling or his mom and, you know, me and him. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, and you know, I, I say this because um, I come from a family that has, I think, been broken by the Korean War. Like there, there was a great trauma that occurred in the in the wake of the Korean War. My father was, and some of his siblings, but not all of his siblings, were put into an orphanage because my mother, my grandmother, couldn't take care of them. And there's a lot of weird history between the siblings, and it's like there's a lot of animosity. That whether they acknowledge it or not, from the kids who were put in the orphanage versus the kids that weren't put in the orphanage, like it's just, I get it. Like I, you know, I get it. But I feel like, you know, mm-hmm. as, as you know, in in the the schema of it, like I am more like Arthur than I am like you, you know, in terms of like where the trauma mm-hmm. and that hurt is. And it's like I'm curious. I want to know. And you know, that generation won't tell me, but I'm gonna try to figure out the best I can. And, you know, right. and like you said, you, and I get why you would try to hold it from him, but I also get, you know, I, just from my perspective, I'm like, I want to know, like, I, I just got to know. I can't let that story die with the people. I'm not going to project my negative feelings mm-hmm. on to him. Mm-hmm. I'm going to let him make his own decision, but I just, like I said, tell him to tread lightly Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. just because, you know, you, you can learn. I mean, they might have a completely different relationship than I had with him, you know, and it was, it was, I mean, it was hard for me being 30, the 30 year age gap. Um, because I, I just kept being treated like I was a child and I, I couldn't take it anymore. Mm -hmm. And you know, there was, there just wasn't any respect. Mm-hmm. And that, that was ultimately the thing. I want Arthur to always feel like he is respected and people, you know, and him to respect others. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's kind of like why it didn't work out for my brother and myself because there wasn't a line of respect there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and I only want Arthur to be surrounded by people who I know will respect him. But like you said, you know, you're curious and, (laughs) (laughs) and you know what, I'm curious too. And I know that this kid's going to be super curious and Mm -hmm. I'm just going, I'm going to, I'm going to let him do him. Mm -hmm. Mm But, and when, when it's, when it's me and he'll, he'll let me know, you know, that's what he's doing. And I mean, he'll have my blessing but ultimately you know tread lightly <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing tread lightly yeah if you're hearing this yeah. Now, tread lightly and yeah no I'm, I'm gonna have him listen to this and he's gonna be like mom insane like, like <laughs> this is insane this is how you had me like mom tell me the story about when i was born well <laughs> if you if you want go to your podcast app <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and the so, story is there yeah and um i think i think we covered to the depth that we can right now of the when i die and i want to know about that after how do you finish that prompt after i die alone? um after i die after i die i want hmm 
I mean, ultimately, I want to be a legacy. <laughs> I, like, I, I, want, I want to be like the legend that Arthur and my future children tell their kids and say, hey, listen, this is, this is who our mother was. This is who your grandmother, your great-grandmother was. And mm-hmm. you know, this is how she started you know, our family dynamic through this crazy tale of being the unexpected mama. Mm-hmm. and and thrived I want to I want I, I want I want them to say that I thrived <laughs> and I think like I struggled I struggled but I made it through you know and and I I want it I want it to be I want the, I want I mean ultimately I want this a story that people will tell and you know is hers through throughout generations because i'm 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 starting the next generation of cobra Mm -hmm. which is funny to me because i never thought that i would because you know i'm the i'm a female in my family and i'm continuing my family name Mm -hmm. i'm not and i'm not taking you know because i'm i'm not with arthur's father arthur doesn't have his father's last name Arthur has my last name. Mm-hmm. So I'm starting the next generation of the Culbreth family. Mm. And that's in my hands. And I never thought, I never, I would never imagine to have that, <laughs> that. You know, I thought it would be my brothers to continue that. My brother's children would continue that, not me. But it's me who's doing it. And so I, I want... I when I die, I want my family name to still continue to be strong, and you know, have the children and the family know that that's where they came from. Basically, yeah. I know that's like a simple cliche answer, but <laughs> I mean, for I think various reasons that we have covered. It makes sense. Like it's a good. There's there's a reason why cliches stick around, and because you know, I think for various reasons that we've covered, it's a very strong uh, truth for you. Yeah, and I mean, it's kind of it, it. It's backwards. It's backwards because you know, I thought, oh, hey, my kids are gonna have a different last name. We're not gonna go. I'm not gonna continue the Colbreth name, and like I come. My my family's pretty cool, you know, like my dad, he's a bronze medal Olympian, oh. you know, and so, yeah, so it's, you know, my, and we have, like, those things to live up to, like, that's, it, and to me, it's, like, my family name is a strong name, and I've always, like, dreaded, oh, when I get married, I'm not going to be able to live my life as a call breath anymore but the fact that I get to bring a child into the world and he can be a call breath is like something like that 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 means something to me Mm -hmm. and you know now Arthur can go into the world and he can also bring you know he he can do whatever he wants to do and he can and he can be the best at it and that's you know that's another thing I want I want him to be the best (laughs) (laughs) So, um, yeah. so i mean i think we've covered a lot of ground and mm-hmm. um you know i'm excited 
for that future where Arthur is like kicking around talking and, and just causing all sorts of trouble. And we can check back in again and just see how this journey has gone on. Cause you know, we're only five months into this wacky parent thing for you. And it's only <laughs> yeah, I definitely would love to come back and do a little, you know, <laughs> where are they now? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like do, do a check-in and see, you know, am I still, do I still feel this way? Mm-hmm. Ultimately I feel like I will. Um, but it's it's pretty cool. I'm 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 gonna do a little plug. I'm actually starting my a, a vlog called The Unexpected Mama, mm-hmm. and I'm going to be documenting my journey of you know this process along with giving you know helpful tips to single moms and just people in general on you know how to save money and you know get through um, you know with expenses, you know, how do you pay for diapers? How do you pay for formula? How do you pay for clothes for yourself? And your, you know, you know, on living, living their best life, but on a budget. And so that's kind of like what the unexpected mama is, you know, how to be your best, but you know, on a budget. (laughs) And so um, it's pretty cool. I'm actually partnering partnering with CVS, and because I am now the queen of the extra care coupons, and I tweeted <laughs> so much about it, they heard, they heard me, and so I'm gonna do product reviews for like CVS CVS brand products, like not only just like baby stuff, but like facial products and you know like just like home care. Mm-hmm. So and you know to show people that those mile long receipts are actually worth it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's, that, that, that's what's next for me. <laughs> that is very cool. You know, and it's just such a, it's something that never would have happened 20 years ago for various reasons. You know, it's like, it's just, it's a cool, I'm very excited to see where things go for you, Camille. Thank you. I'm excited to share with the world. And I, I, I also think like, as it goes on, we're, we're going to start a podcast of our own for uh, the unexpected mama because I'm meeting like a lot of cool moms and like I want their advice mm-hmm. on how they parent and like the different ways of parenting like you know especially like culturally because I have friends who come from like all walks of life like my one of my friends she's Chinese like how does she raise her children in comparison to like you know an American traditional sense and mm-hmm. versus you know like how a Chinese mother would treat her family and how they grow up so you know that that's 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 what's that's what's in in the future that's what that's what's coming so you know maybe i'll need to interview a dad and (laughs) get his perspective so i'll be hollering at you soon (laughs) very cool and uh yeah this has been a really great like i think three hours almost uh conversation with you and uh, jesus it has been i know (laughs) It's been great. It's been, this is great. This is great. I don't want to say that in a bad way. And uh, I want to give you the last few minutes or few moments to address the audience directly, whether it is uh, you in like four years when you're listening to this first interview and you're getting ready for the next one, or maybe it's Arthur um, after you've passed and he just wants to get a sense of like, uh, what was mom like in those early months when she had me around? Uh, the floor is yours. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, Honestly, motherhood has taught me so much in the last five months. Like I said, you know, compassion, love, 
fear. Um, it's, I'm, I'm scared. I'm scared for what, what the future holds, but in the best way possible. I'm, I'm scared because I don't know what tomorrow brings. And for someone who gets anxious and has to plan things, that's scary for me, you know, and I am excited. I'm excited for what tomorrow brings even more so. Um, man, I, <laughs> this, it's, it's, just, it's just a journey. It's a journey that is undescribable, that, you know, like I said, scary and exciting. Um, and man, I'm just, I'm rambling. <laughs> um, <laughs> I want, I, I want, I want this to be meaningful because I want people to know that, you know, even though I, this was thrown at me and I seem like I have it together for the most part. I, I, I mean, I do, but I don't. Um, parenthood is not, it's not a piece of cake. <laughs> um, which is funny because especially in like our era of social media and people only posting like the things that they want you to see, it's not all perfect fun and games. It's not all the smiles and the giggles, you know, that I've been posting. It's, it's hard. There is the fact that I am dealing with conquering my depression and managing turning turning that sadness into being strong and being happy and being confident and making sure that Arthur when he is older will see will see that I want and not only Arthur just like everyone because I'm like I said I'm documenting this and I'm gonna document like the nitty-gritty you know, like the hard days and the good and the bad, the ugly. So yeah, it's, um, it's a journey. I have no idea where it's taking me, <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I'm just, I'm, I'm excited for what, what's to come. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. Too. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so okay. much. Thank this you. Been... I appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Uh, this has been Camille Colbreth on Death.